Welcome back to The Build Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle, here again, and I'm excited to have Leela Srinivasan from SurveyMonkey here with us today. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited. I'm excited for folks personally to learn from you and as well for folks to to hear from some of your experiences. But for those who are less familiar, maybe maybe we could start off by you giving the quick background on yourself. Yeah, happy to. And thanks for uh, having me on the, the show today. So I'll start at the end. I'm currently the CMO at SurveyMonkey, which hopefully many many of your audience knows. We're the leading global survey platform. That's how we rose to prominence. We've been in business for 20 years and our business is shifting in really exciting and incredible ways. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, as part of the, the conversation. I've been here for about, it'll be two years in April in that CMO role. Prior to that, I was the CMO at a recruiting software company called Lever, which is a Series C venture-backed firm that is trying to transform recruiting and make that a much more delightful experience for everyone involved. Before that, I was at Open Table. I was vice president of what was called restaurant marketing, so B2B marketing, basically, helping Open Table get more restaurants on the platform and, and getting benefit from, from working with Open Table. And then before that was, in some ways, my first real marketing job. I spent four and a half years at LinkedIn, joining in beginning of 2010 and stayed through about mid-2014. So that was a really remarkable experience from a career standpoint. When I joined the company, I came in as the first product marketer for LinkedIn Talent Solutions, which was the juggernaut of the business, if you will, and had the, the opportunity to move through different roles. When I joined the company, it was about 500 people. And when I left, it was about 6,500. So that was a real, a real treat to be part of that. Before I got into marketing, though, I worked in management consulting for about three years at Bain & Company. And I ended up at Bain having gone to business school at Tuck at Dartmouth. And then before all of that, my first real career was in sales. So I worked in sales for five and a half years in Florida and in Boston. And I think having that sales background and having run a sales team has probably been one of the reasons why I've been so passionate about B2B marketing over the years. That's awesome. Super helpful overview. And maybe just to double click on, you know, sort of the end as you called it or what you're doing today, what actually falls under your purview at at SurveyMonkey? Yeah, so it's a really exciting role. I'm actually the first CMO that SurveyMonkey's had, which was kind of incredible. The, the company had done, been doing marketing, of course, across many different areas for a number of years. But when I arrived, it was really with the intent of pulling all of that together into one team. So the way my marketing team is structured, and we're, we've actually been in the, in the course of sort of changing that in recent, recent weeks, I have leaders who focus on different areas of specialty. So product marketing, marketing operations and demand gen, brand marketing, comms and social, and growth marketing, of course. I also have a European field marketing team. And then within that structure, there are also centers of excellence that support all of the activities across marketing, whether that is, for example, video or lifecycle marketing, that sort of thing. So covering really every aspect of marketing and communications globally is basically what the job is all about. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into some of the specifics in each of those areas. I guess before we do, taking a step back on the role of marketing as a whole, I'm curious to pick your brain on how that's changed over the course of your career as you've worked at places like OpenTable, like Lever, like LinkedIn, now SurveyMonkey. And, you know, particularly I think SurveyMonkey highlights sort of the shift towards 
end users in the software purchasing or decision-making process, right? Obviously, and we'll talk, you know, I'm curious to ask you a little bit about this later as well, given you mentioned, you know, the enterprise sort of cycles that you guys are moving towards. But I think at least my understanding of SurveyMonkey is that a lot of times the end user is the one who sort of finds it upfront and starts using it initially. And so curious to understand, given that shift, how you've seen the role of marketing shift in tandem. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think your hypothesis is correct. SurveyMonkey today has 17 million active users in, I think, 190 countries and territories. We have over 2 million people every day take a survey. So it's it's definitely grown up as more of a consumer or self-serve oriented business. But I think what's interesting, having the seat that I've had at the table for much of my marketing career has been what's classically called B2B. And I see us moving away from this sort of B2B versus B2C dichotomy it's really all B2H, right? Business to humans. Whether you are buying a product on behalf of your organization for enterprise usage or you're buying it for you and a, a teammate in a startup to use, we're in the business of marketing to humans and trying to help them to get value, to be able, in our case, to leverage feedback to drive growth and innovation for their for their organization. So, so in some ways, I think that dichotomy that, that used to exist is sort of melting away. And I think some of the ways that shows up, for example, are in voice and tone. So I don't know of classically B2B marketing organization out there that isn't trying to be more approachable and friendly and warm in their tone because they understand you know, the, the importance of having that sort of human, human aspect. Equally, I think enterprise players are starting to think, are really embracing this notion of sort of consumer-grade technology. So as consumers, we've all been spoiled by the fact that we have this really powerful supercomputer in our back pocket called an iPhone or a smartphone of some sort. And so consumer expectations for what technology can deliver have really heightened. And that then parlays into what they expect when they flip open their laptop at work and start to use enterprise tools and technologies. So I think overall, we're seeing more demand, more appetite for consumer grade in the enterprise, whether you talk about the technology, whether you talk about the marketing, the voice, the tone, the methods, everything else. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot more convergence of, of the, two, the two disciplines, if you will. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the way we talk about it at OpenView is really like the end users of B2B software are just consumers at work, right? It's the same person. And so to treat them like they're sort of a different beast or a different type of target audience, it's it's really not. It's the same people that you're targeting with other things, just in a different context. That's right. And that I think that's why we're seeing SurveyMonkey start to win as we go into the enterprise, because the interface is familiar. People are really comfortable with the fact that they don't need a detailed, dense instruction manual or a heavy implementation to make it work for, for their setting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that's interesting about what you're, what you're sort of hitting on here is also the fact that I think we heard about the consumerization of software a while ago now, but it seems that the distribution of software in sort of a consumer-friendly way is just now catching up and becoming more mainstream to be targeted at what the way that people actually want to buy. So, you know, we started with building products that people want to use, and now we're trying to figure out, you know, how to get those products into the hands of those people as quickly as possible to solve their problems. So cool to hear you talk about it. Yeah, and for for us I think it's been a it's been a fascinating journey so far. So we're really about 2 to 3 years into 
moving into the enterprise. And for us, it actually came from a place of listening to customers who were like, hey, this this technology is really cool, but you know, I need to think about GDPR requirements. I need to make sure this is my CIO is chasing me down trying to figure out if this software is something that we can use. So we took all of that feedback two, three years ago and used that to make sure that we had that layer of privacy, security, access control, all the classic things that are inherent in enterprise software so that we could try and combine that best of both worlds where you've got that user friendliness and sort of intuitiveness for the user, the end user, but that you're fulfilling all of your needs as an enterprise. It's fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually an interesting thing to pick your brain on because I know we speak with a lot of companies that are taking sort of a bottom-up approach or, you know, SurveyMonkey's initial approach to the market, right, where they're going after end users. And they see a lot of value in taking that path and delivering value as quickly as they can. But they always have the fear of sort of the red tape of the enterprise as soon as they're found out by IT groups or procurement groups or perhaps even a high up enough business unit leader who wants to make sure that the correct evaluation process processes are happening and that individuals aren't just, you know, adopting software willy-nilly. So how did you guys decide, you know, three years or so ago to actually pay attention to that need and shift some focus towards the enterprise proactively? Yeah. And again, it came from listening to our customers. So unsurprisingly, we're big believers in feedback. It's it's sort of our jam here at SurveyMonkey. And we had customers literally asking for some of this functionality, right? They wanted to be able to make sure that only certain users in their account could see certain research. They wanted to make sure that they could be confident in the security protocols, that sort of thing. And so we, we took that feedback to heart. And I, I think the reason that we started hearing that more from the enterprise was because we've moved into what, what I like to think of as the feedback economy. So it's this perfect storm where there's a combination of the fact that people have always wanted to be heard it's just human nature. And then you give them the, the megaphone of the web and it's social and give them the chance to actually talk about their experiences, good and bad. And we've seen, we've seen in our research that as many as 85% of people who've had a good experience are likely to tell people about it. And 81% of people with bad experiences are likely to want to talk about that or, or leave a review. And then you throw in you know, the fact that these consumer expectations are really heightened. So people's, what people are looking for from experiences is changing as well. So all of that has just led to this massive proliferation of feedback. And I think companies are really cottoning on to the fact that they need to be leaning into that feedback, measuring it, understanding it, and taking action on it. So sort of the perfect storm of companies starting to, I think, realize that they needed to be listening into their customers, their employees, all of their key stakeholders in order to drive growth, to innovate, to really do right by the, the folks that will help them be su successful in the long run. So there's that business need, but then that also that moment of, oh, but I don't know if I can, because is SurveyMonkey really an enterprise-grade product? And the answer these days is, of course, yes, but it does require us to get out there and try and shift perception. That is, I think, the obvious downside or reality when you move from consumer into enterprise is just making sure that you take the time and the effort to change the dialogue around how you're relevant for your customers. Yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting, I was going to ask you, you know, as you guys have made this shift, I'm sure there have been learnings both on the product side where you've had to take feedback and implement, you know, some enterprise grade product features and, you know, security measures and things like that. But then also it becomes a go to market exercise, right? And how do we use the right messaging and talk to the right people and identify the right stakeholders to make sure that we're penetrating the organization the right way? I guess, which side of those has been the heavier lift? And on the go to market side specifically, like what has been sort of the biggest learning or, or a few key learnings that you've had while you've been making this shift, which I think a lot of folks are, are going through or, or looking forward to going through. 
Yeah. Well, we're, to be clear, we're still making that shift on the go-to-market side. The product is there. We have enterprise-grade products and solutions. So SurveyMonkey Enterprise is probably the most widely used of our enterprise-grade platforms. But in the last year or so, we've bought a couple of solutions Get Feedback and Usabilla, both of which play heavily in the customer experience management space. And so we're starting to build up a story around customer experience management. In addition, we have sort of a sleeper hit in our portfolio, which is a product called SurveyMonkey Audience, which is quietly being used by some of the most admired CPG and financial services firms in the world to do what we would call agile research. So to get fast feedback that helps them inform product naming or investment decisions, that sort of thing. So we've got this this suite of products that are definitely ready for prime time and are being used by 98% of the Fortune 500. Where we have more work to do, and this is this is on me and my team especially, is that perception shift, is helping people understand SurveyMonkey as a brand that has extreme relevancy in those areas. And so, because we, we combine this sort of online and viral marketing with offline and sort of conventional enterprise marketing type techniques, and when we go to trade shows and conferences and events, the dialogue has invariably been the same. They see the logo, they say, oh my gosh, I love SurveyMonkey why are you here? And then we explain. And then the answer is, gosh, I had no idea that you do that. And so it's, it's been a great, the, the, the brand has been a great door opener. So I, I definitely, if you can, if you can figure out how to, how to have that product virality underpin your go-to-market, then it obviously helps quite a lot. But you know, the onus is still on us to shift perception and help people really understand who we are and why we're different in this day and age. Yeah. And so given you guys do have, you know, some of that product virality that's getting you in the door in the first place, that's helped build a brand over many years, do you view your team's role on the acquisition side as more so, you know, the brand building to support that? Or are there more sort of traditional acquisition channels that you guys use in tandem with the virality? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a tandem approach. So we have the benefit of having really strong SEO and the virality of the product. As you probably know, when you take a SurveyMonkey survey, it is typically powered by SurveyMonkey. And then when you get to the end of the survey, we try and engage you in discussion about other products or different surveys that you can take to further your engagement with us. So, so that continues to work as a foundational element. But yes, we are increasingly combining that with other, you know, other channels across both digital acquisition and then, as I said, sort of offline and more even getting into account-based marketing as we start to have conversations with larger and larger organizations. So it's a glorious mashup of all of the techniques, I guess, and approaches across the spectrum. For sure. And how do you guys think about how to use some of those more traditional channels, you know, digital marketing wise? I guess virality obviously is going to get a wide pool of people. Is that something that you use to do more targeted acquisition or is it something that you use to sort of complement the folks that might already be seeing the product by using it? Uh, How do you think about that? Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, we certainly, you know, as we think about how we're marketing to the enterprise, we are doing more that's account-based and being more targeted and more intentional about our ideal customers. So I think every business out there is probably developing some sense of its ideal customer profile. We are no different in that regard. And so that informs a lot of the campaigns that we choose to run, a lot of the events that we choose to show up at, a lot of the strategic content that that we pull together, of course. And then, you know, at scale, we continue to have our vibrant and robust self-serve business really as the foundation of our growth and continuing to leverage all of the usual suspects from a digital marketing standpoint to just, you know, stay out there and help people understand again how SurveyMonkey is evolving as it continues to grow. 
For sure. Hey, yes, I know you've only been there a couple of years, so not sure if you have the answer to this question, but curious to understand when you guys started to think about layering on additional acquisition channels. So you've always had the self-service business, right? And that is an inherently viral product. So I imagine that drove a lot of acquisition early on. When did you guys start investing in other channels? I'm not sure when the sort of the very initial investments were made. I mean, the, the way I think about our modern history at SurveyMonkey is the arrival of our chief sales officer, John Schoenstein, which is probably about two and a half years ago. And that heralded sort of a new era of this enterprise type of focus. So it definitely has been something that we have dialed up both through organic growth within the SurveyMonkey portfolio of solutions. But then in addition, these acquisitions I mentioned of both Usable and Get Feedback have really accelerated that because both of those companies brought in additional enterprise DNA that has really helped us to keep raising our game basically and think about how do we how do we engage with audiences in different ways. That's awesome. It's cool to hear how much things are evolving and you guys are continuing to innovate internally on in terms of strategy in addition to, you know, from a product perspective, you know, even many years into the company's life cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's sort of a case of innovate or die. <laughs> I don't think you can sit still in today's marketplace and, you know, business cycles are speeding up and our customers have lots of needs and, you know, we're, we're really excited to help them solve some of their, their business challenges. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I guess as you talk about sort of this new enterprise motion, you didn't, well, you did mention the new sales leader, I guess. I was going to say you didn't explicitly mention where sales comes into the process. I have to imagine sales does come in somewhere given the new sales leader and his instrumental role. But how do you guys actually leverage sales in the process? We work super closely with our sales teams across different geographies. We do have a dedicated sales team that is organized by segment, much as they would be at any other organization. They are doing a combination of looking at our sort of self-serve footprint to understand, you know, where do we see concentration of usage of SurveyMonkey that might be better served through our enterprise platform? We developed something in-house that we call a customer 360, which is like a proprietary way of looking at our, you know, our community of 17 million plus active users to identify those opportunities. So that's something that I think is is a really nice benefit for us going to market, is having having that visibility. And then equally, as we start to go to market more and more aggressively with our customer experience portfolio and with market research solutions, we're going out to net new customers who may not necessarily think of SurveyMonkey as a brand that supports them in those ways. And you know that's going to be a lot of what we focus our time on in the coming months. And again, working super closely with sales in order to drive success, because it's the only way I know. Totally makes sense. And who actually owned that project of, and I'm sure it's an ongoing project as well, of of figuring out how to identify what something like a product qualified lead or a user who's already using the product or set of users who are worth reaching out to from a sales perspective, who within the organization owns that? It's a good question. A lot of the early work was done by our data science and BI teams to get a better sense of what the data was telling us. And some of the dimensions that we looked at, as you can imagine, include things like how many survey responses is an individual receiving or is a, is a set of accounts receiving? With what frequency are they sending out surveys? We can also sometimes get a sense of you know, what types of survey are being sent by virtue of the types of question being asked or the types of templates being pulled down from, from our repositories that we offer to all of our customers. So, so taking some of those signals along with titles and types of organization, when you compile all of that information together, it ended up being a discussion between our data teams and our go-to-market teams to just zero in on exactly how we want to think about surfacing opportunities to the sales team. Makes sense. 
And I know you mentioned your growth marketing team earlier. I guess there's a lot of talk these days around growth teams and the evolving definition of of what that means or the emergence of them in general. Sometimes they'll live under product teams. Sometimes they'll live under under marketing. And sometimes there's sort of a a little bit in in each camp. So how do you think about where sort of the growth function lives and and what that even means, honestly? (laughs) That feels like a whole topic for another podcast, but I, I can share where we sit today and and, you know, which, which I think is a reflection of how I think about it. We have a really excellent product growth team, which works hand in hand with a really excellent growth marketing team. And we developed this concept of the extended growth team probably about a year ago, year and a half ago, where we were consciously pulling these teams together to crack business problems side by side and take a look at the full funnel and basically bring their expertise and their skills to the table to help solve as a full funnel exercise. And that's typically what I've seen work well. It, it certainly works really well here at SurveyMonkey. Makes sense. That seemed like a like a sufficiently informative answer, given we could have a whole podcast about it and at least uh, steers folks in a direction. Well, maybe to wrap us up here, you know, I know a lot of folks are are thinking about how to actually develop their go-to-market function within a product-led business like SurveyMonkey. And so many times the start of that is to try to hire someone like yourself to help think about their go-to-market strategy, their marketing strategy, how that ties into product, how that ties into sales. What are some of the most important characteristics you think that folks should be thinking about when they're hiring for this type of role in a product-led business? Well, I mean, I'll start by sharing the sobering research, which I think highlights the opportunity. Our research that we've done in partnership with our in-house research team shows that 60% of consumers think marketers are selling them things that they don't need, which to me is just like, it's, it's like a total gut punch. It implies that marketers aren't listening. We don't understand our customers. You have to understand your customers, their pain points, their challenges, their needs, in order to, to understand how you can help solve those challenges and really, really deliver value, I think, to the customer ultimately. And so a lot of, I think, what businesses should be looking for is building out go-to-market and marketing teams that really focus on that listening. Uh, in our case, of course, we, you know, we have the privilege of eating in our own restaurant. So we constantly are using our own tools to get feedback from customers to understand their journeys and to inform how we think about delivering the better, better and better experiences over time. So we really do, I really embrace this idea of putting customers at the center of our, our marketing. So I think, I think that's part of it. I also believe, and this is an area where we have, you know, we're constantly thinking about how do we improve, but I think most organizations feel they have room to grow is in thinking about the underlying technology to help enable that. And so attribution and all of the kind of the piece parts of understanding the customer journey and making sure that you can then make that as beneficial as possible for your customers. You know, I think that's become such a huge component digitally and offline today. And so, you know, we're spending more and more time thinking about, you know, just making sure that we really have our arms around how customers interact with us as they're considering our technology. So there's sort of like the, you know, you got to have the conversations with your customers, be as close to their problems and their challenges and their, you know, what they're trying to accomplish as possible. And then make sure that you are leveraging data as part of that, not only to understand those components, but also to look across that journey and continuously improve it. Makes total sense. And I love the eating at your own restaurant line. It sounds a lot nicer than dog fooding your own product, but uh, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Could we just put dog fooding to bed? I mean, I just think it's the worst possible analogy. I, I know our products aren't dog food. I don't know about yours. You know, the other extreme is I've heard companies talking about drinking their own champagne and that feels a little bit decadent to me. So I, you know, so settled in the middle where we all got to eat. We all like a nice meal out without going overboard. And it feels like the right, 
the right place to land. I love it. I love it. I agree with you. Awesome. Well, Lila, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. This has been great to learn from you and hopefully more to come in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to chat anytime. And if anyone listening has thoughts or feedback, I'm pretty easy to track down on LinkedIn. So feel free to shoot me a note. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or really wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce daily content on our blog, and you can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.